welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. How are we doing? Great, not bad, you. Dan. How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. So um, I'll quickly go through the list of who is on here because this is the first time I've ever done a group podcast. So let's see how it goes. So we have Laura. Laura, say hi. Hi. Then we have Joe. Hello. Then we have Sue. Hello. And then we have Mike. Hello. How are we doing, Mikey? Are you feeling delicate today? Uh, slightly delicate, yes. We had our uh, we had our Christmas do uh, last night, so uh, but nothing I can't handle, Danny. It's all good. I love it. I love it. Commitment to the cause is amazing. Absolutely. And I figured out between all of us, we've all got some form of plague or we're just a unique snowflake right now, which is good. So this podcast is slightly different. Um, basically, I've got 17 questions, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to all allow you to pick a number, and that's going to be the question what we're going to ask the group. Pretty straightforward. Cool. Um, let's go for it. I think, Joe, you are the youngest in the group, and I feel like that should be how it should be done. So what I want you to do, Joe, is pick, I want you to pick a question between 1 and 17 for me, please. Um, number 5. Number 5. Okay, so these questions are a mix. Some of them are personal questions. Some of them are, um, you know, your typical L&D questions. So... Joe, as you pick number five, okay, this is a strange one. Um, this goes out to a group, so it is. When it comes to talent and succession, what other ways can we do this other than your standard um, nine-box grid? <coughs> to the floor. It's a Friday morning question. Is it Friday? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'll start us off, I guess. So I have limited... Um, take on nine box grids and succession planning and stuff like that i guess for me the, the problem what i see with, with nine box well nine box grids are well i don't know i feel i feel like for me it it, it kind of overlooks what what it's all about succession plan is about kind of you know getting your next leaders and your next managers and stuff like that but i think my take on it is we look at it as a process and we never we're not really truly transparent with people like I mean, how many of us do this nine box grid and actually go out to our people and say, do you even want to be a manager? Like we kind of look at, at you know, the, the, the gap, what we need to fill and who's going to take your role later on down the line. But actually, do we ever just go out and say, who's got the drive, the interest, who even wants to do this? Um, I think I think when it comes to kind of nine box grids, I think it's highly biased, what I've seen of it. And I just, yeah, I think transparency is probably something what's missing. I mean, you've got you've got kind of software nowadays like, um, oh, what's its name? What's its name? It's like an AI software, and I just think, you know, it it could be a true mix. You could mix it with, you could do this whole thing of being transparent and, and actually being open and honest with it, and saying actually how many of our people want to do this, and then when you start using, you know, I think it's called ProFinder AI, um, and basically what they do is they do this analysis on kind of your people who come in and it's it maps out them and puts them in this joint network across your whole business so when it does come to this kind of succession planning you don't have to put yourself put these people these round pegs into these square holes you can actually look at the skills and go actually who's got the skills who's got the drive that's kind of my take on it but what about you guys i'll jump in um danny um so i think it's an interesting one because there's uh, and appreciate you kicking us off there to help help us try and figure out our own thoughts on, on some of this. Um, so th there is something around how is it that we're defining talent at all? 
So typically when we think about and we talk about talent and we think about it in respect to the nine box grid, it's because we end up identifying people as having high potential or having growth potential or whatever terms it is that's used. And what that mean, what that ends up meaning inevitably is that we only focus on a handful of people in the organization. And, um, and ultimately that's just not fair because uh, it's essentially what you're saying is these people are important, everyone else isn't. And that's not the way that we should be thinking about talent and or succession planning. It, um, yeah, everyone has something that they can bring to the workplace. And if we can't help them to find that, then there's more questions to be asked about, well, are they in the right workplace? Are they doing the right kind of work? And all that kind of other stuff that comes with it as well. So I think there's some fundamental questions to be asked, answered around why are we, like, if it is around a nine box grid approach, I don't think that's talent management at all. I think that's something else, right? Because we we aren't truly identifying who has the talent for the right purposes in the organization. We're just saying that we think that group there, they're the ones that we want to focus on. And that's valid, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not as um, transparent as um, as it makes out it might be. And have to define high potential for what? Like, is it for a future role? Is it to be a leader in this organisation? Is it because they can deliver something that someone else can't? Yeah. Um, I think 360 is important as well. So you get that own person's um, take on it, as you say, like whether they're actually aspirational to to change roles or whether they're quite happy doing what they do. And so that it's not just the manager's perception because that could be biased or just based on what they've observed okay so when it comes to kind of nine box grids i'm quite i'm not as close to this as well as i don't know if this is as i should be but i guess have any of you guys used anything other than kind of nine box grids and stuff like you know a quick google search you just put succession plan in now and i can guarantee within the first three things you'll see a nine box grid um have any of you guys used any other kind of tools methods techniques i don't know in, in doing that, other, other than what we've already talked about, kind of just asking some better questions. So in my previous organization, we did try a different approach to using um, any kind of grids or anything. And it was, to Joe's point, it was around more about asking, what are the thing, what are the roles for tomorrow that we need to know about? Do we have that talent internally? And if we do, how do we help them, how do we help match one to the other? So if for tomorrow we need tech capability to develop um, better products or better services for our clients or customers, then who do we have internally who can help move us toward that? And if we don't have anyone internally, how do we find those people to help us to move towards that? And then um, other pieces you can think about are what kind of leadership do we need for tomorrow? Do we have that kind of leadership internally? And if we do, again, like a similar set of questions, how do we help grow the people that we have so that they can deliver on what we need them to? Or if we don't have that, then how do we find that externally to help make sure we're on the right path for the future so i think there are other uh, there are other ways to do it it's just less um less about using the grid and more about well what is it we're trying to um provide a succession plan and or talent management process for and how do we help then build towards that in a way which makes sense as opposed to and it shouldn't be a competition like it, it should just be individual's potential and um, there's something about enabling people as well. So something we're looking at next year is we bring people in for an interview. You might ask the standard question about what's going to be the biggest challenge for you in this role or what's your greatest development area. 
and then we kind of tick that box on the interview question and then they join and we start this whole new process of goal setting like we don't bring through what we've learned about them already to help set them up for success to use a cheesy phrase um but when they start and join all of that together so so when it comes to kind of you know when when you get these people in job and you ask these questions of you know what skills have you got blah 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 do you hold them skills anywhere what, what makes these kind of searchable later on down the line when it comes to succession planning or is it kind of just a a throwaway comment where you find out a little bit about that person and actually you don't you don't log this because what I'm thinking in my mind is wouldn't it be good if we had this whole onboarding and then we got these skill set and then we put this into a, a bigger connected network within the company yeah I mean I think that depends on the manager and their intention asking that question so I try to follow up asking that question in the interview with keeping in touch with them in some way before they start and trying to you know integrate things into their induction plan that might help bridge that gap to start with to then continue it in the development conversations we'll have once they join but I think it is as a lot of things are dependent on the manager that they've got and talent management succession is normally part of a bigger kind of process I guess okay well Joe seeing as you went first please pick somebody's name out of a list uh lovely Laura Laura Go for it. A number between 1 and 17, please. Let's see if 13 will be unlucky or not. Okay. 13. This is a deep one. So, are humans better at creation or destruction? Oh, wow. Or, uh, well, I guess, yeah. Or anyone can jump in whenever you like, I guess. It's a deep question, that one. Uh, <clears throat> it is a deep question, and I'm feeling particularly deep and philosophical this morning. So, I will, I will start this off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look back on one of my favourite films, which is uh, Terminator. And I think it's Terminator 2, where Sarah Connor um, is looking out of the car and she's seeing two kids playing with guns. And I think she turns to the Terminator or somebody and says, you know, we, we, we just, it's inbuilt to destroy each other. Um, you know, if you go back to the, the the hunter-gatherers, the fighters, you know, as human beings, we are born to survive. And it is about being, you know, having a competitive edge and it's survival of the fittest. So, you know, I think as humans, we all have it in us to be destructive. How destructive, I think, depends on a lot of different factors. And it is, it's like, um, you know, it's a really weird mix because you have got, you know, we've obviously got history of wars. We've got histories, you know, of you know, some fairly significantly horrible things from, you know, genocide to, to you know, just kicking off with your, with your neighbour. Um, so human beings can be quite quite varied in, in their destructive powers, but fundamentally, I think, you know, we are, um, you know, a good species. I'm going to throw that out there. I think we are innately good. And with that comes generosity, creativity, goodwill. You know, we've seen, um, you know, we've seen people do miraculous things that inspire and motivate us to become better. So I am a positive person. And whilst, you know, there are people out there that can be pretty horrible uh, and destructive, I do believe as a species, we do more good than harm. So I've, 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 I've made the foundations. Who's going to pick that one up? I think we're like we create life like so we've got to be pretty good at 
creator. Um, and there's just something about people say no one comes to work, like intending to upset someone or to do a bad job. And I think some of that destruction stuff just comes as a result, as you say, of trying to look after yourself or, or something else. Okay, okay. So, Laura? I'm really torn on this because I think if you take um, AI as an example and you read a lot about, um, you know, the future of AI and, and the numerous articles and so on that exist at the moment around, you know, robots going to take over the world and we, we've suddenly got into this position where we've created something that we've been really excited about until there's a question mark over whether it threatens threatens us whether it threatens our ability to remain in control or whether we'll become surplus to requirements. And then we start to change our position potentially um, and consider that our own creation may become our own destruction. Um, so I think as soon as as soon as we, I think innately, I think exactly what Mike said is right, that we have this ability and desire to create and to improve and to grow Um but when we end up in a position where some of that creativity and that growth starts to threaten our control uh, and our ability to remain in control, we then go into a more destructive, a more destructive mode. Is my thoughts on that? Okay. So, anything to add? Or should we move on? Uh, yeah, some great responses. Uh, don't think we need to. Uh, I mean, you could, this is a really good question, but this. Uh, you have uh, 13 other, I oh, know, how many other questions? 15 other questions to get through, Danny, so. Yeah, completely. <laughs> so let's do this. <laughs> um, so, Mike, go for it. Um, number between 1 and 17. Uh, legs 11. What is, this is another L&D question, what is experience design to you? To me? But to the group, but yeah. As a, as a whole. So, you know, we I think in L&D, we have this whole thing about learning experience designer, experience designer, this, that. I was an e-learner, now I'm an experience designer. Kind of this, this evolving kind of, you know, change your job title to whatever's cool and funky in the environment, in the industry, what we're in. That's been happening for, for, for years and years and years. I mean, all of us have, you know, been in learning and development for, a, you know, some time. Uh, I think my journey started in 2007. So I've been in the game 10 years. And, you know, these things can constantly evolve and change, and whether that is supplier driven, whether it's industry driven. Um, fundamentally, for me, when I think about experience design, it's about creating a connection with the um, with the, with the with the end user it's thinking about things like user experience how people interact with materials content systems uh, it's about emotional connection it's about generating some sort of change now is that different to how a trainer was 5 10 15 20 years ago because still talking about experience either in the room or online it's talking about how people use systems contents it's how they relate it to things so i i don't think it shifted that much i just think we've got better at articulating what we are attempting to do or what we're trying to do so i don't know whether people agree or disagree with that but that's my very short take on it guys anything to add i think it's becoming a little bit of a buzz phrase uh, you know, it's the latest cool thing to talk about. And whilst I think some organisations are really clear on what learning experiences or experience design, there are other organisations that are um, kind of clinging on to that tagline or throwing that out just, you know, probably for what you said actually earlier, just to make themselves appear to be 
up to date with the you know the latest trends and what people want but actually when you dig under the surface of that I think there's a lot of organizations that are even recruiting for experienced designers that aren't clear on what that even means to them so I think it's really interesting to see how um, experienced design people who sit within that role play very different parts in different organizations because there's no you know really rigid or really clear view of exactly what that means and especially because so many organizations are really hung up on having a really rigid job description although often that job description doesn't really mean anything doesn't mean the paper that you know mean the paper that it's written on um I I don't think that anybody's fully clear on exactly what that means but everybody wants to be able to throw out that title to show that they're up to date with the latest in in L&D and that they've got that more cool funky approach to to learning in their organization so i think experience design is really interesting that um you know mike i think when we was on good listen to you the other day about the good practice podcast um you say you know everything's like ex ux cx and i think that makes perfect sense because we are in this experience economy now um the more x's the better i think it's i don't know like you know when you talk about your, you know, customer experience versus learner experience versus user experience. It's all the same thing. It's just got a different letter at the front of it. You know, I think I firmly believe if you're doing customer experience, you can you can probably do employee experience or learner experience because you understand what an experience is and how to build one. Um, I think LX is interesting. So I, I when I come to kind of design experiences, I follow this five E framework and kind of look at that and kind of use that loosely. Um, but that's from a book called the Experience Economy book. It's kind of yeah. I think experience is a really interesting one, and I think if we're not careful, we'll just end up losing what it is and what makes us different from, say, Joe Blogs who's in there. But I guess going talking about job titles in general is is a, is a random one because job titles what we what we sign up to tend to be like like you mentioned, Laura, completely opposite to what what we're doing in the end anyway. Yeah, I think it's quite a subjective one as well, isn't it? That if you're if you're creating um, if you're creating an experience for somebody so that the learning sticks and it becomes it's memorable and you can recall it years down the line, that's actually a really difficult thing to do because, um, you know, positive experiences for people are completely, you know, completely different. What people will recall are completely different. And if you're expected to create fantastic learning experiences for internal colleagues, for example, you know, how do you know that the experience that you're creating is going to be something that all of those colleagues are going to warm to are going to be happy to participate in it's something that they'll recall later how do you really make sure that you're servicing everybody's requirements everybody's needs um i think we're still very early on that path to understanding exactly how we can how we can achieve that and manage that uh, and create something that's you know great for everybody that participates in an experience without being completely subjective about what a great experience looks like based on our own experiences if that makes sense no yeah i completely agree completely agree okay so um who go, who went first let's do it suck pick a number if you like between one and 17 number one number one okay another deep one um if you found out you had a year to live today, what would that year look like over on the standard I'll go travelling? Blooming hell, man. <sighs> so, so, you don't have to go first. It can be anyone. It's by all means, jump in. 
if you need some time to think about it. I mean, I probably would go travelling, to be honest, but I'd probably try and do it in some kind of meaningful way that would make a difference to myself and to people on the way and leave a bit of a legacy, I guess, and just concentrate on the important things. Like, if you add up how much time you spend watching Netflix in a year, probably wouldn't do that if it was my last. Yeah, I think there's, there's a book which, Laura, I think you've read this as well, Legacy. And um, it talks about leaving. It talks about wearing wearing a black shirt when you. Um, I think it's New Zealand, and it talks about leaving the shirt in a better place when you picked it up. Um, which I'm a firm believer of. I think if you can sit back in, the, you know, before that year comes to an end, and you think actually I've made either the world better or I've made pe- five people's lives a little bit better, and I think you've done your job well and you put them in a better place and you know potentially where they might have been when you came here. Let's move on to one quick. Let me pick one. So what I want you to do is in five seconds, I want you to describe to me your favourite Christmas movie. And Laura, start it off. What's your movie about? Go. Uh, Home Alone, fun, creativity, uh, finding ways to overcome challenges, lots of humour, authenticity, uh, good guy wins in the end. Perfect. Joe, go for it. Mine's the same. Maybe just because getting in trouble. Yeah, that's a, a good, typical Christmas movie or Elf, which is also pretty fun. Okay, okay, Elf's legit. Um, Suck, go for it. Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, arguably, is it a Christmas movie or is it a Halloween movie? It is a Christmas movie, people. And uh, mostly because of the songs, I think they're really, uh, really good fun in there. And it's uh, it's got Jack Frost, one of my favourite characters. That's why. Okay, okay. Uh, Mike? I'm going to go with uh, Gremlins, which again, you could argue, is it a Christmas movie? But it is absolutely a Christmas movie. Um, I, I remember watching it when I was much, much younger. I just absolutely loving it. I love the characters, I love the story, you know, the whole can't feed them after midnight and the fact that they multiply after... Um, so it is, you know, there's a massive crisis and then, you know, they pull together and Gizmo is the hero. So, um, yeah, I love a bit of Gremlins. Cool, okay. Um, mine is National Lampoon, Christmas Vacation. It's just a classic and it's a fact of, I think when you, when you just see him around his family, it just sums up pretty much every single Christmas. You've always got, you've always got your person who has that's a little bit too much to drink. And yeah, I just like the idea of getting everyone together. It, and yeah, especially when that, I think is it a squirrel or something jumps out of a Christmas tree. That's not my, like my standard Christmas, but yeah, it just kind of reminds me of your, your typical kind of random things that happen when you all get together. Um, Joe, did you you pick the question? Who's who's going to pick a question? Have we done one, two, three, four? Okay, I will pick a question then. Um, okay, I want to pick a question about your values. So before we started this session, I asked you to pick a value, um, and we did this rule of elimination to find out what your what your key value or possession would be. And now what I want you to do is talk to me about a value and why why that end up being your your final value. Um, Laura, go for it. What did you end up with? Uh, so I ended up with authenticity. Um, I think for me, that one stands out just because I think I've been on a, a journey of authenticity um, over probably 10 years, I'd say, and having worked in sales environments um, for, for quite a long time and me naturally being quite quiet and introvert. Um, I used to get a lot of feedback that I'd never fit in, never be successful in those kind of environments. I'd spent a long time trying to become a, a clone of the more brash, extrovert, more loud members of the team. 
um, almost trying to become a clone of them and just realized that nobody was ever going to get my best when I was trying my hardest to be somebody else and putting too much effort into that persona uh, or that facade. And it's taken a long time to have the courage and the confidence to refuse to have that that persona and that facade and just say hey you know what this is me this is who I am um if that doesn't work for you then hey that's cool um but I'm not going to pretend to be somebody else anymore because if you want the best from me then you need the real me um so this is me in all my vulnerable glory take it or leave it um so yeah authenticity is hugely important to me if you want the best from people I think I love it Joe what did you ask uh, authenticity, so I'm going to change it <laughs> to the thing that I had before. Um, so the one before that was integrity, um, so the whole doing things right, doing the right thing. Um, I think as DT Montese says, you can be the ripest, juiciest peach in the world and there's still going to be someone who hates peaches. So I guess I just learned that at the time ago I have um, maybe given on something um, where I've always I kind of wish I hadn't afterwards. Um, so it's just that kind of trusting yourself, doing what you believe is the right thing, sticking to your values, however tough it gets. Okay. Okay. I like it. Integrity. Um, Suck, what did you end up with? Uh, for me, it's appreciation. Um, I've, I've always been somebody who tries to let others know what I value in them and what I, uh, what I appreciate about other people. And I believe that that's one of the ways that we bring about kindness and we bring about uh, altruism and we bring about um, helpful uh, helpful attitudes towards others. It's by uh, being able to express and articulate when people have done good things and why, why that's important to you. Okay. And Mike? Um, so I ended, I ended up with a possession, uh, which probably says more about me than anything else. Um, but I ended up with my mountain bike. Um, so I used to love riding my bike when I was in my teens. And like most things, you know, as you get older, you sort of lose track with your hobbies. And, um, and my partner, Julie, sort of got me back into biking. And I bought my own mountain bike. And it's a decent downhill bike. But there is nothing better for me than just getting out into the outdoors. Um, it is a massive sort of soul cleanser. It just helps me clear my mind. There's, I love fresh air in the outdoors. Um, you know, and there's there's lots of good things in there about just taking time for yourself. Um, so I, I, you know, I would strongly, you know, urge and recommend everybody to buy a bike and just get out as much as you can because, you know, there are so many nice places to go and visit in the UK. Um, you know, it links to that other question that you asked us about a year, you know, so one of the things I would do is I would I'd just go to some crazy places in the world and just bike, um, you know, and just go and experience what the world got to offer because there's some beautiful places. And I think, you know, when we are all working really hard, trying to achieve so much, you know, just taking a little bit of time for yourself and getting out into the wilds on a bike, uh, there's nothing better. So that would be, uh, that would be my possession. Okay, nice, nice. Okay, Joe, it's back to you to pick a question. Oh, no, what's yours? Oh, right, okay. Uh, mine is mine is curiosity. Um, I value curiosity. I value being able to kind of sit back and look at things and go, actually, what what would this look like if I did this? What? Why can't we do that? You know, kind of, I think that comes from being a childhood. I think, yeah, different books and kind of 
just I think you know as as kids we probably all made dens and we all made little dens in our bedroom and we, we used our imagination and curiosity and kind of what would it look like if we were around this so it's, it's a mix really for me I think it's imagination and curiosity um and I think it's like anything if I think with our values our key value would be like our possession is you know I think no matter what you do as long as you live by that happiness will come um one way or another because obviously it goes back to that kind of being authentic to who you are. So yeah, mine's mine's probably imagination or curiosity. Um, Joe, go for it. Pick a question. Um, eight. Number eight. Okay, so what is your? This is um, to everyone. So what is your plans in two thousand nineteen for your personal development and your professional development? Uh, mine is to. Um, so I've recently this year I joined the. Um, Kind of management board of the Association of Business Psychologists, and for my professional development is to, and personal actually, is to be more involved in that to really explore what what don't I know about being part of that type of organisation, and how can I learn from that, and what can I put into that, um, so that I grow, and then I also help the organisation to grow as well. So I'm looking forward to that. That'd be quite a good challenge for next year. Anyone else? I mean, professionally, I mean, I've, what, what I've genuinely enjoyed this year is uh, um, is um, talking again at uh, some conferences. So I went through a spate earlier on in my career when I was working at RBS that I was lucky enough to, to start telling stories around some of the work around communities and things like that. And in the last 12 months working for River Island, I've had the opportunity to you know, start telling stories about the stuff that's happening in in the organisation. I think what I've particularly enjoyed about it is branching out away from learning and development. Um, you know, so you know around employee engagement, around um, analytics, um, world of learning, so more traditional L and D, but really testing and pushing myself to talk about a broader range of subjects than just L and D. And I think they are linked to learning or uh, development or collaboration experience all those sorts of mixes but you know i think for me professionally i'm looking forward to more of that next year and perhaps talking about a wider range of subjects because it makes me think deeper about subject matter um and you know i i, I genuinely do like uh, speaking um you know it puts me um it keeps me on my a game you know it really sort of uh, challenges me to always do things better and to improve how i talk in public um so yeah, I think I think professionally that's what I'm looking forward to next year is keeping developing the, the stories and refining the art of public speaking. I think is something that um, I, I do enjoy. Uh, for me, professionally, uh, it's continuing with my masters. I'm doing a masters in organisational psychology, which I'm really enjoying. Um, and in addition to that, I've been learning a little bit more about NLP and hypnotherapy and the use of of those. Uh, in in the business world, uh, particularly hypnotherapy. So I'm really focused or going to focus in the next year on uh, mindset. So working on the top three inches, as my mentor would say. Um, And then from a personal growth perspective, um, as you know, Danny, I'm always off out doing crazy charity things, events, throwing myself out of planes and swimming lakes and stuff. I like to be put in really uncomfortable positions. So the next year is going to be looking for my next six crazy events that I can do that are going to give me an opportunity to face any fears that I've got. All of them will relate back to the charity work that I do, um, but there'll be some physical challenges that will have a, 
an opportunity for me to push my body physically, but also to um, to, to challenge my mindset and take me out of my comfort zone. Uh, so yeah, busy year. Cool. And the charity's name? Uh, so the project is the Big Six, and it raises cash for uh, a little independent charity called Little Hearts Matter, who are based in Birmingham. Cool. We'll put that in the um, show notes so people can kind of read up about that. And Joe, over to you. What's what's your plans for 2019? Um, professionally, I was I was really inspired actually by some of the storytelling at the Mind Gym meetup, um, and that's been a kind of technique that I've been wanting to grow and learn a bit more about. Um, I took on three new teams this year, so there's something about just accelerating my learning in those things around talent and succession and OD engagement. Um, so again, a bit more breadth um, than just learning. Um, personally, I'm 30 next year, so um, one of my team and I have been talking about doing a kind of 30 things before 30. Um, some more travel, trying out more new stuff, um, looking, I guess, a bit holistically, so getting myself kind of physically stronger, which helps with your mental strength and kind of that whole person stuff. So more of that next year. Nice. Okay. Well, sounds awesome. Sounds like a good 2019 for, for everybody, to be honest. Um, I guess just wrapping up now, because obviously we want to keep this short and sweet. Um, where can people find out a little bit more about everybody? So, Mike, where can people find out a bit more about you? Um, on Twitter, I'm at community underscore Mike, or feel free to connect on LinkedIn, Mike Collins. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it, Danny. <laughs> okay. Suk? Yeah, best place to catch me is Twitter, at Suk Pabial. Okay. Joe? Um, yeah, LinkedIn or Twitter. I'll pin you over the details. Okay, that's good. We can link them. Do not worry. And Laura? Uh, Yeah, same for me. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook for the Big Six charity stuff and uh, Twitter as well. Perfect. Well, right, is that all that's left for me to say, guys, is thank you for joining the Management Podcast. It's the first time I've ever done a group one. Um, Have a lovely Christmas or festive period. And yeah, I'm sure we'll speak in 2019 when I come to do season two. Thanks for joining, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Bye-bye.